welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to find the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 3. Give me just a moment to review for just a moment how we got to Nehemiah chapter 3. God's people had been taken into Babylonian captivity. They had begun to turn their backs on the one true God. They'd given themselves over to idolatry. And God sent prophets to tell them that they needed to turn and return unto the Lord. Jeremiah was one of those prophets. Isaiah was one of those prophets. Habakkuk, it was revealed to Habakkuk that it would be the Babylonians that would come in and would destroy the city of Jerusalem and they would be taken captive for some 70 years. And the people of God would not listen. They would not heed the words of the prophets. And so the Babylonians came in, just like Jeremiah said they would do. The Babylonians came into Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They tore down the temple. They dismantled the walls. The temple lay in ruins. The walls lay in ruins. And the people of God were taken into Babylonian captivity for some 70 years. Now, it's during that 70 years of Babylonian captivity that we read about the happenings with Daniel. It's during that 70 years of captivity that we read about the happenings with Esther. It's during those 70 years of captivity that Ezekiel was a prophet who was there in Babylon trying to win people to the Lord. After some 70 years, the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians. Cyrus became king and Cyrus allowed the people of God to go back to Jerusalem and begin a construction project on the temple. We know that in the first half of Ezra, Zerubbabel led the first wave of Jews back and they built the temple. Ezra came back, came behind Zerubbabel and they restored proper temple worship. And the people of God began to experience renewal and revival. But they had began to wane once again. And the walls of Jerusalem still laid in ruin. And the fact that the walls laid in ruin was a reproach upon the people of God and it was a reproach upon the God of the people because this wall was of significance in the life of the city of Jerusalem. And yet the walls still lay in ruin. Some years later, there's a guy named Nehemiah. He's working as a cupbearer for the king of Persia. His brothers come to visit him Nehemiah, being a Jew, asks about the welfare of the city of Jerusalem. And his brothers say to him, the walls are still torn down. The gates have still been burned with fire and there is nothing happening. And it grieved Nehemiah tremendously about the plight of his people. He would go to the king desiring to go back and help rebuild the wall. When he went to this Persian king, we not only find out he got permission, but he was given provision to be able to go and accomplish this great task. 
Nehemiah goes to the people after having snuck into Jerusalem at night to view the walls. He says to the people, you see the distress that we are in. Let us arise and build. And this series through the book of Nehemiah, we have entitled Against All Odds, because it seems that against all odds, Nehemiah, after hearing of the plight of his people, praying and fasting and having a burden to rebuild the walls, is going to, against all odds, go back and rebuild the wall. As we come to Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning, I want us to consider this. If the wall is going to be rebuilt, if the endeavor that the people of God are getting ready to take on is going to happen, it is time for them to go to work. So the title of our message this morning is this, let's go to work. We've got an endeavor in front of us. It is an endeavor larger than we have ever taken on in the history of our church. And it's time for many of us to go to work. So let's stand together and begin reading in Nehemiah chapter three, beginning in verse one. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the entire chapter this morning. We won't go verse by verse through this and I'm going to go, only gonna read five verses. And as I get to about verse three or four, you're gonna realize why I'm only, pre, I'm only reading five verses. I can tell your reading plans hadn't got to Nehemiah chapter three yet. <laughs> verse one, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it, set up the doors of it. Even under the tower of Mia, they sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachor, the son of Emery. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. And next to them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz. And next unto them repaired Meshalom, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshabiel, the son unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Banna. Looks like banana almost to me. Do y'all see why we only gonna read five verses now? And next unto them, the Tekoites repaired. But the nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Heavenly Father, as we consider what it is you would have to say to us this morning, I pray, Lord, you have arranged this service in such a way that would now make preaching effective. And Lord, you would move me out of the way and give me that touch that turns a mere mortal man into a messenger of the Almighty this morning. So God, you do the work that only you can do in the hearts and lives of your people this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. In chapter three, Nehemiah writes in typical Hebrew literary practice. So what he's gonna do in chapter three is he's gonna summarize the entirety of this project of building the wall. And after he 
summarizes the entirety of the project in chapter three. Going forward, he's gonna kind of revisit and give us some of the details of what happened during this period of time that they were working on the wall. And at first glance, this passage may seem a bit repetitious. It may seem a little monotonous. And some would say, well, it's not even very interesting. But for the serious Bible student, there is much to be learned in these 32 verses. I believe one of the things that we as a body of believers can learn is what led Nehemiah and these people to have such success in this endeavor that they had taken on. As we look forward to the work that is ahead of us, there's going to be craziness that will happen. We'll have different doors that we have to come in. There'll be walls constructed where it'll guide us where to go. There'll be all kind of different places we might have to park. There, there's a major endeavor that we are about to undertake as we build this new children's building. And I think some of the principles in Nehemiah chapter three might help us to not only have success in that endeavor, but maybe put a few more people on the wall working to ensure that the endeavor is a success. So number one, if you're taking notes, I see the workers on the wall. The workers on the wall. Now, these are folks that weren't just talk. Back in chapter two, they said, let us arise and build. And in verse three, in chapter three, they got busy building. So many talk about what they're going to do. So many talk about being busy in the fields where God has placed them, but so few actually walk the talk. These people were not just talking about it. They were being about it. And I want you to notice a few things about these workers with me. Notice number one, the list of the workers. The list of the workers, there are 38 individuals that are named who labored on this wall. It's a reminder that Nehemiah could never have done this work by himself. It took a army, an army of people to complete the task because Nehemiah could have never accomplished it solo. If this thing was going to happen, it was going to take others to get involved. These names that are recorded in Nehemiah chapter three are written in the word of God that will never pass away. And these are people that decided not to just talk about it, but to be about it. Some have even suggested that Nehemiah chapter three is the Hebrews 11 of the Old Testament. This is a list of people that made a difference. And their names are recorded. Let's look where their names are recorded. In the word of God. If the history of Mount Pisgah is written, and they began to list some names of some people that made a difference. You see, all 38 of these names, well, they made a difference. see, those of you that have come to be a part of Mount Pisgah, you have said, we believe as a family that this would be the church that God would have us to join with. We believe this would be the church where God would have us to serve. And the question becomes is if we're making a list of those who have made a difference through the years, would your name be on that list? I'm not talking about you having to drive a nail 
or lay the carpet or weld the steel structure, but there are things you can do. There are things we all can do. Every one of us can find ourselves in a posture of prayer about what is to come inside of our own fellowship. You can, you can also find a place to get your hands dirty. We're going to find out in just a minute in verse 5, there's some folks that decided they wasn't going to get their hands dirty. But there's some places you can get your hands dirty right here. You can, you can work with our preschool kids. You can work in Pisgah kids. You can work with our youth. You can work in the parking lots. You can work in the greeting ministry. You can work in the choir. You can work with the ushers. You, you can, you can do all kinds of stuff. You could get a, and be a part of this AV team that uh, are running cameras and running sound. Some of them in that back room back there pressing buttons that I don't know what they do. I just know when it don't work. That's all I know. But there's a plethora of opportunity for every single one of us to get involved. And so if we made a list of workers, like Nehemiah made a list of workers, would you find your name on that list? Because here's the thing. We should not be asking whether or not we should be working inside the church where God has planted us. You're asking the wrong question if you're asking whether or not you should be working. The question you should be asking is this, where do I need to be working inside of the local fellowship where God has planted me? So when you leave here this morning, you go out those doors, right out this way, there's a little place called Next Steps. They got these little cards. They're called serve cards. And what we want you to do is you can fill out one of those serve cards and at the bottom, you can put down what you believe you're gifted at, where you think you could get busy working. And really, we don't care what you put down. We're going to put you in the nursery anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. But as a blood-bought, born-again believer who has yoked up with a local church, You ought to find a place of service because there's a huge endeavor in front of us and it's not just the construction of a building. You see, God's not interested in just building a building. He's building a people and he is building his church. So there's the list of workers. Secondly, there's the location of the workers. Now, Nehemiah was a phenomenal leader. For those of you that are in management that want to learn how to be a leader, I'm telling you, study Nehemiah. He is a phenomenal leader. And he leads the people to accomplish something that they could have never accomplished on their own. And you know what I always say about these guys that step on the scene. God always has a man and he always has a plan. But there's a couple of recurring phrases through this chapter. One of them is this. It's over against his house or next to his house or beside his house. Nehemiah is taking advantage of convenience because where are the workers working? They're working close to their house. So there's no downtime for commuting every morning to work. They just walk out the door right by their house and get to work. And this wall is designed to do what? Keep out the enemy. So let me ask you a question. If you lived here and you're building the wall here 
and your family lives right there, you're going to be pretty serious about how you construct this wall. You're going to make sure this wall gets constructed correctly. You're going to make sure it is fortified. You will be zealous about ensuring this wall is impenetrable because you want to protect your family from the enemy. And the truth is, many of us need to build some walls near our house. I'm not talking about spirit, uh, physical walls. I'm talking about some spiritual walls because there is an enemy that wants to get to you and destroy your marriage, destroy your home, destroy your children. He wants to destroy us. And we should be building some walls inside of our own homes and putting some safeguards in place for our children. You ought to build a wall that, that doesn't allow your children to have 24-7 access to a, to, to a cell phone with access to the internet. You ought to, I know that wasn't popular because right now we so busy wrapped up in ourselves. We hand the kids an iPad, an iPhone or something so they don't bother us. I know this is not popular, but listen to me. Your kid sitting in his room, sitting in her room at night with a phone and access to the World Wide Web is a disaster for you. It is a disaster waiting to happen for your family. And hey, daddy, you ought to stand up. Hey, mama, you ought to stand up with him and build a wall around your children so that the enemy doesn't have access to them. You ought to fortify the wall so that the enemy doesn't have access to your home. Put some safeguards in place. Build a wall. Protect your family from the enemy. Man, they were located right next to the wall. There's the list of workers. There's the location of the workers. But then thirdly, notice with me the lack of workers. You see, in this chapter, there's only 38 names. While they completed this task in an amazing amount of time, you have to believe there were some that should have been there that weren't. And we discover who they are in verse five. Watch this. And next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but the nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. While men from other towns came, including the men from Tekoa, they were willing to work. But there was a group here from Tekoa called the nobles. That Nehemiah tells us that they put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Here's a group of guys that just decided they weren't getting their hands dirty. This work was above them. They were not willing to work. Nehemiah tells us, that they just wouldn't even put their necks out to the work. They were arrogant, stubborn, presumptuous, what? Believing somebody else would do it. And when we get to that point where we believe somebody else will do it, it will never get done. And one writer said it this way. The real issue here was submission. They were simply unwilling to submit to the plan of God. Maybe they didn't like the way the wall was being built. Maybe they didn't like the color of the wall. Maybe they didn't like the engineering of the wall. Maybe they didn't like the design of the wall. Maybe they didn't like the size 
size of the wall. Maybe they didn't like something else about the wall. But irregardless, they decided they're not going to work. And regardless, there were less workers than there could have been because the nobles of Decoa just decided we're unwilling to work. Ask any preacher in America what he needs and he'll say, I need some hands and feet that will labor in the field along with me because the fields are wide unto harvest. And Jesus said it all the way back in his day. While the fields are wide unto harvest, the laborers are few. If not you, then who? My friend Mike Stone shared this illustration about the lack of workers in our country. And let me preempt your strike by saying this is preacher math. The population in this country is 328 million. 115 million are retired. That leaves 213 million of us to do the work. Well, 52 million are on welfare. That leaves 161 million to do the work. There's 108 million in school. That leaves 53 million to do the work. Of that 53 million, there's 30 million employed by the federal government. That leaves 23 million to do the work. <laughs> Five million are in the armed forces. That leaves 18 million to do the work. Take 15 million from that for all the state and local government workers. And that leaves you 3 million people to do the work. There's 2.3 million people in prison. That leaves 700,000 people to do the work. There's 500,000 people in hospitals. That leaves 200,000 to do the work. There's 199,998 in nursing homes. That leaves two people to do the work. That's me and you. And what you waiting on? <laughs> See, while there are 38 workers here, there was a group that just decided that's for somebody else. They would not put their hands to the plow and get busy and submit themselves to what the Lord had called them to do. There's the workers on the wall. Secondly, there's the work on the wall. Now, if this work was going to be completed, and it was, there are some principles I think we can learn as we take on the task that God has in front of us. Very quickly, there's three things about this work that I want you to see. Number one, there was continuity. Now, if you get back home this afternoon and you want to read through Nehemiah chapter three, there's, there's another statement that you're going to see over and over and over, and it's this, and next to him, and next to him, and next unto him, and after him, and after him. That phrase appears some 31 times. And here's what happens. Some men from various backgrounds, you can read about it. There's some goldsmiths, there's some priests, some that are called water carriers, some of the apothecary. They all had different backgrounds and different professions, but they came together for a common goal. Is that not what happens inside of a local church? Where a bunch of people with different backgrounds, a bunch of people with different experiences 
come together for a common good. And that common good is not building a building. That common good is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. And part of that for our ministry is constructing a new building so that young children may hear about the good grace of God and be saved by his amazing grace. There was continuity. Not, not everybody had the same job, but they all worked together towards a common goal. There was cooperation. I mean, to take on a project this large, those workers had to have great unity. I preached on that just a couple of weeks ago. Where in Psalm 133, one, it says, how pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. And when there is a church in sweet unity like God has given us, that's something we should protect. But that is something that will help us to cooperate together to achieve what God has called us to. There was continuity, there was cooperation, but then there was consecration. Notice in verse one, the Bible says they builded the sheep gate and they sanctified it. And then it says again, even under the tower of Mia, they sanctified it. Now consecration is a way of saying that not only is something special to us, but it belongs to God. You know how they would consecrate these gates? They would take blood and smear it on those gates. And that was to signify that while this, yes, is important to us, we are setting all of this apart for the one who is worthy of this endeavor. Remember in Nehemiah chapter two and verse 17, Nehemiah said, we must build the wall in order to remove the reproach that has come upon us. The psalmist said that the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. But while the gates were down and the walls were in ruin, the heathen around them would mock them and they would mock their gods. So the building of this wall, the, the rebuilding of these gates was a monumental task and, and it needed to be commenced and the gates and the wall needed to be consecrated. It was a way of saying, this is all about you, Lord. This is not about us. And I think as God has continued to bless in our church, that's one of the things we must protect ourselves from. And that's becoming prideful about seeing God move in a great way. We must, as a church, say, Lord, none of this is about us. Every single bit of this is about you and the gospel of Jesus Christ because one day we will stand before God Almighty and we will give an account and we'll be rewarded for what he accomplished through us, motivated by love for the glory of God. Did you hear that? Only those things that are accomplished by him through us for the glory of God, motivated by love. Because he's the one that's preeminent. They consecrated these things. I hope that in the days to come, we'll have a similar thing where we'll have a building dedication. And that'll just simply be us coming together saying, Lord, this is your building. Use it for your glory. Well, there was continuity. There was cooperation. There was concentration. And some would say, Pastor, I'm reading through Nehemiah 3. 
And I've heard that Jesus is on every page of the Bible, but I don't see Jesus in Nehemiah chapter three. Oh, you missed him. Because he's in here. While we talk about the continuity and the cooperation and the consecration, let me show you the Christ. Look at verse one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the what? They builded the what? Don't leave me now. Don't leave me. They builded what? The sheep gate. Now this gate was located in the northeast corner of Jerusalem near the temple area. That's the gate where the sheep would be brought into the temple that would be sacrificed on the altar. That gate speaks of Jesus Christ and none other than the great Lamb of God. You remember John the Baptist having a baptismal service down on River Jordan and Jesus comes walking up and John the Baptist says, behold who? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's significant that the rebuilding of the walls started where? At the sheep gate. Physically, that's where they started. Spiritually, that's where every one of us have got to start. Because you can work and work and work and work and work in this church. You can be a greeter, you can be a deacon, you can work on the AV team, you can be a grow group leader, you can be a preacher, you can be a staff member, you can be a volunteer at higher grounds, you can be a volunteer at next steps, you can be a parking lot volunteer, you can drive a golf cart and bring people in, you can do all kinds of stuff. You can work your fingers to the bone here in this church. But if you've never been saved, if you've never experienced the Lamb of God, it will all be for naught. You got to start there. Look at verse 32. And between the going up of the corner unto the what? Unto the what? So the chapter begins with the sheep gate and it ends with the sheep gate. It reminds me of Revelation 1 where John said he's what? He is Alpha and he is Omega. He is the beginning, he is the end, he is the first and he is the last. So if you're gonna get in, that's where you better start because it's gonna end with him too. Because every single one of us will stand before him one day. And if you didn't get the first part right, it won't matter what's in between. Do I desire for every single member of this church to find a place of service? You know I do. But I have a far greater desire to ensure that you've experienced the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You got to get that right first. And when you get that right, let's get busy serving because we're going to stand before Him one day. Could be today, you've realized you've never experienced true salvation. You've seen these people be baptized. You're not sure what that's about. Give me just a minute to share with you. 
You see, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's, it's not hard to convince people that they're sinners because we've all done stuff that we know would transgress God's commands. The Bible goes on to tell us that because of our sin, we deserve death. That's not speaking of physical death, that's speaking of spiritual death. Because of our sins, we deserve to die spiritually. And to die spiritually means to be separated from Jesus for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's what we've earned. That's what we deserve because of our sin. But Romans 5, 8 says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he tasted death so we wouldn't have to. Oh yeah, we'll die physically, but you'll never die spiritually because you'll be with Jesus forever and forever and forever. He goes on to say that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this morning you're here. And if you stepped into eternity this afternoon, you don't know where you would be. Or maybe you're here today and you know you're not saved. In just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. And if that's you and God's dealing with you about your eternity, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat, come down here, put your hand in mine and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. We would love to take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved today. Secondly, maybe you're here, you've been saved, you've never been baptized. You saw all of these take their next step today. Maybe today you need to come and make yourself a candidate for believer's baptism. In just a moment, when we stand to our feet, you come. Thirdly, maybe you're here and this is the church God would have you to yoke up with. This is the church you believe that God has sent you and your family to. And I'd encourage you when you join, pick up a trial and pick up a sword because we got to work while we fight. We'll see that next week. And then finally, to Mount Pisgah. Those of you that have said God has brought you here, I want to encourage you. It's time to go to work. Maybe you need to find a spot in an altar and say, Lord, would you burden my soul for where it is you would have me to get busy inside this local fellowship? Could be a husband and a wife. You need to just find a spot in an altar and say, Lord, put us where you want us to be. Give us a greater burden than we've ever had to, to serve right here. And my final invitation to you is this. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. As we stand to our feet, Jane is going to lead us in a song of invitation. You do business with the Lord. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.